0: Well, good evening to you all. I'm the one with the microphone, I guess, so thank, <laughs> thank you, Pastor Dave. And thanks, Pastor Dave, for uh, inviting me to be a part of your midweek Advent worship this uh, season. It's always a pleasure to be able to be in God's house, sharing with brothers and sisters in Christ as we anticipate the coming of our Lord's birth. Actually, this was Pastor Dave's idea that I do this. He came to me a month and a half ago or so and, and asked me to do this. And then he actually gave me the suggestion for what to, what to talk about. Uh, the Christmas story according to the four gospels. And I thought, what a great idea. I'll, I'll see what I can do with that. And so we're beginning, uh, starting tonight and for the next three Wednesdays, we'll look at each of the gospel accounts of the, the uh, birth of Christ. So my question to you is, what are you doing here tonight? What are we doing here? Isn't this a bit unusual to, in the middle of the week, during the busy season that we're in right now, to show up in church? Now I can see doing a midweek service on Thanksgiving, which you probably did right, last week. And, you know, if Christmas happens to fall midweek, well, Christmas Eve, you, got, you gotta you got do that, uh, right? But these Wednesdays in between, Why would you be in church? I mean, midweek Advent services like this are really uh, rare. They're an anomaly in 21st century Christianity. There aren't many churches that do what you're doing here tonight. Uh, There are some Lutherans, we're one of them, but that's about it. You know, and I think the uh, the secular world is catching on a little bit. It likes to use that word, too, the commercial world. I happened to notice in last Sunday's paper, the use of the word Advent. And when I saw Advent calendars, I thought, well, that's great. Advent calendars, you know what those are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little calendars of the month of December with a little door that you peek behind and you see something of the Christmas story. Well, this was not talking about Advent calendars. This was talking about... Wine lovers' calendars, and whiskey lovers' calendars, and, and coffee lovers' calendars. You know, and what they're talking about, of course, is every day during the month of December to be able to open up and see a different kind of, different flavor of coffee or whiskey or wine and try it out. So it's kind of like a 24-day countdown to the big party, right? To the big celebration. They're not thinking about what we're thinking about here tonight at all. Well, speaking of calendars, we do have an Advent calendar. It's, we call it the first season of the church year calendar, and that's what we began just last Sunday. If you were in church Sunday, hopefully your pastor said something about, Happy New Year. Did he? (laughs) Okay. First Sunday of the church year, and Happy New Year. It's It's a celebration day. Uh, you know, Advent, one, which is last Sunday, continues then throughout the whole year and ends up the Sunday before last Sunday, which was the last Sunday of the church year, sometimes called Christ the King Sunday. But it takes a look at, uh, you know, a linear progression throughout the year of the events of the life of the Christ, the life of the ministry of Christ. We kind of match that and coincides a little bit, it's one month off, isn't it, from our, our usual, um, uh, you know, seasonal calendar, which begins not the first Sunday of Advent, but always January 1st. And I always found that interesting. Why would you start the year at the end of the season? Isn't January 1st? Symbolic of the death of nature. I always thought maybe the calendar should start on the first day of spring, wouldn't that be great? Because you're starting with birth and life and eventually culminating in death. But we start in January and the Advent season in in a way is going to do the same thing. It begins at the beginning with the birth of Christ, the coming the announcement and the birth of Christ. It looks at his entire life throughout the year and ends with him sitting on the throne in heaven and the future coming again on the last day. The beginning, the middle, the end. It's the the culmination of all that God has done. It's God's story, really, from Genesis to Revelation. It's all there laid out for us. And you know the beauty of it is, it's all about Jesus. As one of my Bible students back at my, my congregation when I was just serving every Bible class he was in, somehow he got this phrase in. I don't know what we were talking about. We could be talking about Genesis 1 and creation. And he'd say, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? And it's true, it's all, the whole thing is about Jesus. It's his story history, all laid out for us beautifully. And you know that story, don't you? You store it, you, you know it, and you love telling it. I, I know you know this song here. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, Jesus and his love. You know, I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else will do. I love to tell this story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. You know that story. And that story, as it pertains to his birth, is what we want to talk about tonight. How would you tell that story, the one you love to tell? How would you tell it if you were there as an eyewitness and saw it happen? Or how would you tell it as you've done investigation about it since you weren't there, you have investigated it. You've heard this story for so long. How would you tell it? What would you say about it? You know, where would it begin? What are the questions that you would want answered as you tell that story? In a way I'm going to ask you to challenge you a little bit to maybe think about that during these four weeks of Advent this year. Suppose you were the one who had to write the story. How would you tell it? Would you tell it like we talk a lot about stories? You know, we we use the first person instead of the third person. It would be a subjective, emotional telling of oh, isn't it amazing what Jesus did here when he raised that young girl from the dead. You know, we we use a lot of a lot of adjectives and go into a lot of detail about what we saw. How would you tell that that story? Uh, You know, Christmas is universally recognized by by the whole world, isn't it? The events in Jesus' life, the songs, uh, more traditions, more songs, more celebrations than any other event in Jesus' life. Well, when we talk about the beginning of Jesus, Ministry the the beginning of his life the beginning of the gospel accounts of Jesus We're talking about stuff that the world really knows about and not only that it, it had tends to Add to those stories and embellishes them As you think about these events as they're recorded then for us I'd like you to think about maybe being the one who who writes that story for yourself tonight 2,000 years ago there were four men who were charged with that task, you know, the, the task of telling the old, old story. It began probably about 20 years after Jesus' death, after he was gone, when the first Gospel writer, and most biblical scholarship believes that's Mark, wrote his account of the Gospel. And it continued then with Matthew and Luke, who perhaps used Mark as a source, maybe did, maybe didn't, but those three gospels are very similar. We call them the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because many of the events of Jesus' life appear in all three gospels, and sometimes in the same, the same order the and same, the same words that Jesus uses. The fourth gospel, John, was probably written much later, maybe as late as 90 A.D., so that would be about 70 years after Jesus uh, or 60 years after Jesus uh, died and rose again. So we have these, these four gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. There's, in terms of his birth, there's no overlap, no contradictions, certainly. They're complementary to each other, And, you know, they're not really exhaustive either. They don't answer every question we would like to have answered for us about the events of Jesus' birth. But um, the fact that there were only two of those Gospel writers that were eyewitnesses, Matthew and John, Mark and Luke were not part of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So they would have had to do some extra work. They had some extra investigating. They would have to go to some, some of the sources, you know, maybe the primary sources who would be Mary and Joseph, right? I mean, they were there. And of course, they went to the Holy Spirit too. We believe that the Holy Spirit was behind this whole process. Even though they weren't there, they can tell the events and the accounts, but they would have probably had to, to listen to some of the oral traditions about Jesus' birth and record them for us. And it's interesting, if you have your Bibles, and I know that there are Bibles here in front of you, if you would take one out. Um, And I'm just going to ask you to turn to a couple of pages. Page 990 uh, is the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. And then hold a the finger there and turn it to, oh, and if you don't have, if you got your own Bible, just mark chapter one. If you got your own Bible, you probably know what page it's on, right, Lois? <laughs> so the, the Pew Bibles, it's 990. And then the, the John chapter one is page 1049. And Luke's gospel begins on page 1012. And just hold a finger in each, and we're going to compare just the way each gospel starts. On page 990, Mark's gospel, the first words. Somebody have it here? Want to read it? Just the first verse. the beginning about the Gospel, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. Mark is gonna start at the beginning. What about John? What does he say? Page 1049. In the beginning. He's gonna start at the beginning too, isn't he? We're going to notice, though, that their ideas at the beginning aren't quite the same. What about Luke? What does he say? Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. What does Luke say? I'm going to challenge somebody to read three verses instead of one here. And the guy's name is Theophilus, by the way. Anybody? you notice the phrase, from the beginning, investigated everything from the beginning. Luke is going to start at the beginning too. All three of these guys are going to start at the beginning. Guess what, the beginning for each one of them is a little different and we're going to make note of that during these, uh, these weeks of, of Advent. Let's take a look first of all at Mark, keep your finger there at Mark. Page 990. Now it's believed, I think as I mentioned before, that Mark chronologically, and the reason we're looking at Mark tonight and not Matthew, we're not taking this in order. We are taking them in probably chronological order in which they were written. Not in which they they appear in the Bible, but Mark's probably was the first gospel written. It's the shortest. And the thing you're gonna notice about Mark's gospel if you read it through, It's very fast-paced. It it just goes boom, 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 boom. He uses the word at once, the words at once, and immediately, a lot. He just skips right along. He's got a lot of action that he reports and very little dialogue. If you've got a red-letter Bible, you know what I mean by a red-letter Bible? The words of Jesus are in red. There isn't a lot of red in Mark's gospel. So Mark begins his gospel by saying, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then notice what he goes on to. Verse two, okay, I'm ready to hear about the beginning of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what does he do? He takes us to the Old Testament, to Isaiah the prophet. And verse two, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way That really comes from the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament, but sometimes by saying Isaiah, he means the whole Old Testament. And then, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert. Do you recognize that? It was read just a moment ago from Isaiah chapter 40. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And okay, now we're going to hear about Jesus' birth, right? What comes next? And so John came. John, what is he doing here? I want to hear about Jesus Christ. And Mark doesn't mention a thing about Jesus' birth. He says the beginning of the gospel. You know, I like to call Mark's gospel the typical male version of the birth of Christ. You know what I mean by that? <laughs> And I'm implicating myself here. Husband and wife are sitting at home at night and the phone rings. The husband gets up, answers the phone, comes back a few minutes later, and wife says, who was that? Oh, that was a neighbor. Hey, they just, Nelson's, they just had their baby. And the wife says, oh, great. What was it? I was afraid you were gonna ask that. Well, what was the name? I don't know, it was a baby, you know. that's about all she could get out of him. What color were his eyes? You know, how many toes did it have? How, I don't know. It's a baby. That, that's Mark's version. And the thing about Mark, you see, Mark, uh, if you know, Mark was, you know, it comes along later. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, but again, most scholars believe that Peter, the disciple Peter, is the source that Mark used to write his gospel, and this sounds very much like something Peter would do. You know, Peter, pretty impetuous, you know, just does the th- first thing that comes to his mind, whether he thinks it through or not. Mark's Gospel flows like Peter thinks. It just goes galloping through. Well, that's what happens here. And, uh, you know, brief to the point, uh, let's just look at those, those first, that first verse the beginning of the gospel. Gospel is a a power-packed word. It's full of meaning. What is gospel? Sometimes people simply use the the phrase what? Gospel is good news. It is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's a, a good summary of the word, the gospel. We're talking about something that happened here when I use the word gospel. It's everything that God has done. It's really this whole book. God's whole plan from the beginning of time to save the fallen world. The beginning of the gospel. Here's how it starts. And it focuses on Jesus. The Christ. A kind of a reference to the Old Testament. That's, that's his title. Jesus is the, the Christ the God's anointed from the Old Testament, who now is come here to accomplish the gospel. And he is here to do that because he is, as Mark calls him here, the Son of God. That's a, an interesting phrase. Son of God. You know, when Jesus would refer to himself, he'd never call himself the Son of God. He always referred to himself as the Son of Man. Son of God is a phrase that appears in the New Testament only by Jesus' opponents. First of all, the devil in the wilderness who says, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread or fall down and, you know, jump off this this uh, temple and God will save you. It's also spoken by those who at the cross were mocking Jesus. If you are the Son of God, come down and save yourself. And one other place in the New Testament that phrase is used to refer to Jesus Mark will allude to it later on by the Roman centurion, who as he saw Jesus die on the cross, he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Nobody else refers to him as that, except Mark here, as he begins the gospel. Why would he choose that phrase, Son of God? Because in the Old Testament, that phrase had meaning. It appears, first of all, in Exodus, where God calls um, Israel, his chosen people, his son, and the prophet Hosea when he says to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh that uh, I want my son to come out of of, uh, a bondage. Um, The phrase he uses, Israel is my firstborn son, let my son go. And later on, Hosea the prophet will refer back to that Old Testament passage and say, out of Egypt have I called my son, when Jesus was was down in Egypt and then came back after Herod's death. Jesus then becomes, you see, Israel, the nation of Israel, reduced to one. What God had called Israel to do in the Old Testament, to be his people, a light to the Gentiles, and they failed to do, Now Jesus comes and accomplishes a new beginning. Something new is happening here, and Mark is alluding to it. Jesus, the Son of God, the new Israel, the one who will accomplish what God's original purpose for Israel was in the Old Testament. And then we have John the Baptist, sometimes called the voice of Advent. And his voice is calling people to prepare the way. Uh, and later on now, as, as we continue the story, we're beyond the Christmas story you see here. There is no Christmas story in Mark's gospel as we're familiar with the Christmas story. Uh, Mark immediately introduces us to John the Baptist, as do the other three gospel writers also. All three gospel writers, all four gospel writers refer to John the Baptist and his ministry as being the way preparer for the coming of Jesus. That's Mark. Next week, we'll look at Matthew. And I encourage you to maybe read Matthew, who gives us a little more information about the infancy narrative here of Jesus' birth. Matthew chapter one and two. So maybe in preparation, you can read Matthew one and two and begin thinking about if you were called to be uh, a gospel writer, how would you begin? How would you begin to tell the story of Jesus' birth? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Son of God, already way back in the beginning, you have uh, made the promise to be our Savior. And now you you wrap our flesh around yourself. You become one of us, indeed one with us, in order to accomplish that, that great salvation. We thank you this evening, Jesus, for your birth, your life, death, and resurrection. Help us to walk with you then through these weeks of Advent as we prepare to celebrate that birth. Amen.